Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kill the Wine. My name is Bodie, and I am your host, and I stand here. I am a boy standing in front of a mic to tell you that my house is quiet. It is so quiet. We had some people over. Some people stayed uh, the weekend with us, and we had a very nice time. But my kids, who I love dearly, were uncharacteristically loud because these are some of their favorite people. Sierra was one of them were at the house and they were very loud and my, my nerves and they were playing with toys that were very loud. And my, my nerves are very jangled after this weekend of loud noises. <laughs> so much like on Anchorman, uh, loud noises would just, that's all I want to say. Anyway, let's get to the news. Lordstown Motors has a new CEO and his name is Daniel Ninvagi. Now, hopefully I said his last name correctly. Uh, Daniel is going to be focused on launching the Endurance, which he probably should be since that's the only vehicle they have at the moment (laughs) to put out. He is a former employee of activist icon or activist investor, Carl Icon. And if you don't know who that is, um, this guy buys a lot of like tech stock and then he talks to the CEO and tries to get him, get the CEO to do what he wants them to do so that he can make more money basically. And if you listen to tech news or financial news, I'm sure you've heard his name over the last couple of years for sure. Anyway, Carl Icahn, he's very, very rich and could probably personally float the Lordstown Endurance launch with the money he, the pocket change that he throws in his, his, his little console in his car. Like this guy has tons of money, but back to Lordstown, Lordstown says that they're back on track to begin production at the end of September, which isn't that far away. And they're hoping to have validation of the endurance and regulatory approval by the end of December or possibly January. Now, speaking of pre-production, let's talk about Volkswagen because they have begun pre-production of the ID4 at their Chattanooga, Tennessee plant in, well, Chattanooga, Tennessee in the United States. Um, They made a lot of big improvements and additions to this plant so that they can build electric vehicles. So this is a good sign that the ID4 is finally being built there. As a matter of fact, I believe they said that the ID4 wouldn't even come to the U S until they could build it at this plant. And of course it's already out here in the United States. So they either backtracked on that uh, statement or I'm completely and totally wrong. Either one of these things could be true. Sounds like Rivian is ready to begin deliveries in September as well depending on regulatory approval. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Rivian has an upcoming IPO and they're valued at $80 billion, which is insane. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, that's way too high because they've never sold a vehicle. And you know what? I, I would tend to agree with that, but they have a lot of good things going for it as a company. And they seem from the outside, they seem to be very well run. So I'm not so sure that this is a, uh, an overvaluation because I wouldn't be qualified to tell you what's high and what's low, but I do think it's going to be a pretty big company in the next couple of months for sure. 
And then finally, in the regular EV section of our show, Neo is requiring owners to take a test before using ad- assisted driving features. This all stems from a fatal accident in southeast China. I actually think this is a really good idea because someone scrolling through really fast the terms of service and clicking I agree is not the same as somebody having to actually sit through a presentation or read through some documentation and then taking a test on it afterwards. I think this is a really good idea, and I think Tesla should think about implementing this as well. Before we get to the Tesla news, I need to apologize to a Patreon supporter. Bruce became a Patreon supporter a couple weeks ago, and I don't think I acknowledge that he became a Patreon supporter. And Bruce, I am so sorry I did not. I waited until now to acknowledge and thank you in public for becoming a Patreon supporter. That's inexcusable on my part. So I apologize, Bruce. I'd also like to welcome Neil to the Patreon community. Neil, thank you so much for becoming a patron. I really appreciate it. It helps out. Just so everybody knows, all of the money goes back into the show. None of the money goes into my pocket. So um, you're, you're really actually supporting the show, not supporting me. I have a job. My wife has, has a job. We make good money. All the money goes back to make the show better. So if you'd like to join Bruce and Neil, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt and help support the show. So thank you to all those who help support the show. I appreciate you. And one more last announcement. I was on Allison Sheridan's show, Chit Chat Across the Pond, and we talked about why Teslas in full self-driving and autopilot mode keep hitting uh, emergency vehicles. And we also talked about electric vehicle fires compared to ICE fires. And I get a lot of emails about both of these topics from people. And this is a very long-form conversation. So I was able to more thoroughly um, talk about this subject or these two subjects with Allison. And it was actually really nice because there's a kind of, when you've been in an industry for a very long time, you kind of forget that some people don't know certain things about your industry. So it seems like some things are obvious and Allison was able to wait. She was able to stop me and she's like, wait, I don't understand what this is. And then allow me to explain it because I'm going to be a hundred percent honest with you. I'm not the best communicator out there. Um, so it was nice to have somebody to kind of bounce that stuff off of and then get that feedback. So thank you very much, Allison, for having me on the show. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. There's already a link under friends. If you go to uh, the show notes, look under friends, you can go to Allison's website, podfeet.com. But I'll also put a link at the very top of the show notes of the episode I was on. So it was, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope Allison has me on some other time and we can talk about something completely different. But it was a lot of fun. And I highly suggest checking it out. Oh, you know what? I, I said one more thing, but I do have another one more thing real quick. Howard from the Kona Electric episode that we had a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was a couple of months ago, it was in June. Howard and I sat down and we talked about the Ford Mach-E. So we both test drove a Mach-E. We came back and we talked about it for the podcast. And I want to thank Howard for actually taking his time and doing that. But it was a lot of fun. It was a fun conversation and it was really fun to test drive. Now, Howard lives on the East Coast. I live in Arizona. So obviously we did this separately. But if you want to get our thoughts and reactions on the Ford Mach-E, which was largely positive, stick around after the news because I'm going to be airing that conversation. So let's jump right into the Tesla news. Tesla Energy Ventures is looking to provide energy as a utility in Texas. We'll see if they're able to get approved to sell power. But as of right now, Tesla could sell power from either the grid or any excess energy generated and stored in Tesla solar residential or commercial installations that could come from their solar panels, or that could be from their battery packs, whether those are commercial or residential, if I wasn't 100% clear with my previous statement there. Tesla has already installed a gigawatt of power through solar panels in Texas. That was as of June. This may lead to Texas residents who own Tesla solar panels and batteries getting paid. And we don't know that that is going to be the case. That's just someone who's familiar with the matter speaking. So that's basically a rumor. When you consider that Tesla has their auto bidder software and the the market in Texas, I guess, from what I was reading is largely, it's not that it's unregulated. It's just not such a monopoly like it is in most places. Like you can have multiple utility companies serving one area. Um, 
I like to see this. I'd like to see more options for green energy. That's, that's a good thing in, in my opinion. Kind of to bring it back to home to Arizona, APS, which is a really large electric utility company here. They have some competition. Green Mountain Energy is looking to bring some renewable energy to the Tucson area and they're going to directly compete with APS in that area. So I think that that's really good news, not only for the residents of that area, but for people in the rest of the state. Hopefully it's successful and we're able to get more options throughout Arizona and then other states as well. Tesla's refreshed their mobile app and it looks amazing. I can only see the solar power stuff because I don't have a Tesla EV yet. But here's what they've updated. They refreshed the vehicle and energy homepage. Looks great. They streamlined the summit experience, enhanced the phone key support. The vehicle no longer needs to be selected for the key to work, for the phone key to work. You can send commands to the vehicle immediately upon opening the app. You can go off grid to seamlessly. You could basically, you can disconnect your home from the, the power grid if you have a power wall, which is pretty cool and possibly dangerous or maybe unwise. You can shop the Tesla catalog through your app if you really want to. You can view and manage your or- orders. And then you can look at your supercharging history and you can pay any outstanding supercharging bills if you have such things. The app also supports iOS widgets if you have an iPhone. Um, right now, there's no widget, unfortunately, for the solar, but there is for the Tesla vehicle itself. And if you're waiting for a Model 3 standard range, you're pretty much pushed out to the end of the year. But you may have a shot of getting it just a little bit faster if you're okay with a small range hit. Tesla has been sending out emails to a few reservation holders, and here's what it says. Hi. We are contacting you about your Model 3 Standard Range Plus, currently estimated for delivery near the end of the year. We'd like to offer you an opportunity to receive your car even sooner. Due to limited supply and strong customer demand, we are introducing the Model 3 Standard Range Plus Battery Pack, which we already released in Europe and Asia to North America. This battery pack has a range of 253 miles estimated, If you are interested in taking delivery as soon as September, please visit our inventory page and search for Model 3 Standard Range Plus Vehicles. If you choose to order, your original order fee can be applied to the purchase of your vehicle upon delivery. We will continue adding inventory on a rolling basis. Please check back regularly, blah, 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 blah. Best regards, Tesla team. So it sounds like Tesla is transitioning away from the standard battery packs that they're using to a lithium iron phosphate battery cell, which is what they use in China and Europe. These lithium phosphate battery cells get about 10 miles less range, but they can be charged to 100% without much degradation. The nickel cobalt aluminum oxide or NCA batteries that Panasonic produces currently at the Sparks, Giga Sparks, they're a little bit more expensive and they can only be charged to around 90%, although most people only charge them to 80%. For Tesla, the lithium phosphate batteries are a little bit cheaper, which means more profit for them. And I brought this up when they first started using these batteries in China. Will Tesla bring back the Model Y standard range, or is it the standard range plus, whatever the lower end Model Y is, or the more affordable one is. Anyway, my question was, will Tesla bring back this Model Y, the more affordable Model Y with LFP batteries here in the United States. And some people are saying yes, and it could be priced right around $45,000, which would be pretty good. At Giga Texas, speaking of the Model Y, pre-production of the Model Ys are rolling off the line. That doesn't mean that they're going to be selling these vehicles as, as new vehicles. These are just kind of test vehicles. And we could see full production Model Ys rolling off the line in Giga Texas, somewhere between late 2021 and early 2022, which I realize is not a great time <laughs> timeline when I just throw that out there like that. Anyway, along the same lines, these Model Ys built in Giga Texas and Giga Berlin will not come with the 4680 battery cells Tesla initially thought that they would you know, 
roll into these vehicles because the 4680 battery cells right now are having some production problems, which is, you know, not a huge surprise. And if memory serves, one of the issues they were having is the cathode. They weren't able to produce that at scale, like in small batches that looks fine. And in larger batches, it kind of has this like little wave to it, if I remember right. And I'm sure there's some other things that they're trying to overcome. So right now, if you get a, if you get a Model Y that was built at Giga Berlin or Texas, you're going to get a, the Model Y with 2170 cells, which is fine. It's not like that's the worst thing ever. But you know what is the worst thing ever, according to Jim Cramer? The Cybertruck. Mr. Cramer thinks that the Cybertruck will be Tesla's first disaster, to which I say maybe. Um, Tesla is planning on releasing the new full self-driving computer with the Cybertruck, so that hardware for that they were talking about. Plus new batteries. So if it is a big disaster, it's going to be full of really cool tech. So if you, you might be able to pick one up at some point in time, really cheap, but I don't think it's going to be a disaster. And it makes me more excited to, to buy one because I want that newest technology when I spend close to $60,000 on a vehicle. And our final story here, right before we get to our chat with Howard Tesla will be building their first supercharger in Alaska. Now, if you're familiar with Alaska, you'd think, well, maybe it's going to go in Anchorage, Palmer, Wasilla. These places are a little bit bigger, but they're kind of in the same area in terms of, you know, Alaska. Maybe they'll put one in Juneau, um, which is a little bit more remote. Maybe they'll throw one in Fairbanks, which is a fairly decent sized city by Alaska standards. Well, if you thought those things, you would be incorrect because they are going to put the first supercharger in my old stomping grounds, Soldotna, Alaska. I actually went to Soldotna Elementary for one year, but I grew up on the Kenai Peninsula, which includes Nikiski, Soldotna, Kenai. Anyway, I'm really excited the first supercharger is going in Soldotna. I don't, I can't give you an exact reason why, but I feel a lot of pride because of that. Now, I'm going to guess that this is going to be installed at the Fred Meyer or at the Soldotna Mall by the Safeway somewhere or possibly at the Y. And if you don't know where the Y is in Soldotna, I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, they had, at least when I was a kid, they used to have a very, very funny slogan for the restaurants in the area. And I can't say it here because it sounds dirty. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All right, folks, that's it for the news. Let's go ahead and listen to me and Howard discussing the Ford Mach-E.
Hello, Howard, and welcome to the show. Hey, Bodhi, how are you? It's good to see you again. Good to see you and good to talk to you. Um, I'm really excited. A few, for those who don't know, for a few weeks ago, uh, or actually it was a few months ago now. Yeah. I emailed Howard and I was like, hey, how would you like to do a little project with me and test drive EVs and then we can come on the show and talk to him about them? And Howard agreed. I think it was the best idea ever because I've been test driving cars since I was in high school just for fun. Like, it's just a thing I've always done because I just liked it. So it's perfect for me. <laughs> Same. Actually, um, I don't like car salesmen, but I really love going to car lots. So, and my wife has banned me from most car lots for behavior against car salesmen, which I'm uh, now that I'm in my forties ashamed to admit, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I have a much more tolerant stance. Now. They just used to be really aggressive. I don't like the aggressive behavior is really what it comes down to. I, I actually appreciate the kind of the game that they play. So there's a little bit of that, like, well, if you're thinking about it, does that mean that there's a possibility? And I'm like, well, there's always a possibility. <laughs> so there's, there's always a little of that, like, it's fun. We're playing. I'm always straight up with any of the dealers. Um, and in fact, with, uh, with the dealer that's near me, that was absolutely great. I literally called them and said, my sister's coming into town. She's never driven an EV. I haven't driven the Mach-E, and I really want to drive it. I already have an EV. I'm probably not going to buy it. Can we drive one? And they literally just went, of course you can. They were so nice about it. And they were like, when do you want to come in? What? Like, super duper nice. It was a great experience. Yes. And I will say, like, when I was in my 20s, car dealers had a different way of of pushing their uh, or trying to get you to buy a car than they do now. It's much more subtle now and it's way more um, relaxed and, and they, they don't, they don't hound you and, you know, call you over and over again or force you to give them their, your driver's license so that you can take a test drive or anything like that. It's a, it's a way better experience than it was 20 years ago for sure. Definitely. So you kind of let the bat out of the, the cat out of the bag there a little bit with the Maki. So we're going to talk about the Maki today and, um, I kind of, we, we kind of ran down some things before the show, but I, I'd like to get your impressions just on the overall look of the exterior of the vehicle. And what are your thoughts? Well, I'll preface this with, I am not a person that's like a Ford guy or a Mustang guy. So I don't look at the Mach-E and go, but it's not that, you know, sports car coupe. Like I looked at it and I was like, that is a really nice looking SUV. Like when I think about SUVs on the road and I look around, I looked at that car and I was like, that is a really well, like just nice looking car. Really, really nice. It actually is something that when you're far away from it, it doesn't look that big. And then as you get up on it, you're like, okay, this is, this car has some like impressive sort of like, it's a big car when you get close. It doesn't, it never says I'm a small car. Um, I, I really like the look of it. I think the lines of it are nice. Um, there are a lot of, badging of the Mustang label all over it. Like everywhere you look inside, outside, there's lots of little horsies running around. Um, and so for the Mustang faithful, it might actually cause that sort of response that says, but it's not the race car. It's not the Shelby. It's not like, why are you messing with my car? And you know what? To that, I say Ford made a Mustang in the eighties. That was absolutely atrocious. Like it was yeah. so hideous. It, it that car couldn't even like calling it a, a sedan is would even be insulting. That car was like it was like an old lady couch, you know. It's like it, it's useful, but it's not sexy, and there's nothing about it. Or I guess maybe to some people it's sexy, but there's really nothing about it that makes you want to drive a 1980s Ford for sure. Maybe some people have nostalgia about it, but in general, it's just an ugly car. Well, and I think that's the part where I like, I remember in the, in that early mid eighties, that version of the Mustang, it just looked kind of dumb. Like it just was like a dumb little boxy sedan that happened to have a Mustang logo on it. And then they did the version that had all of the swoopy lines and the intakes again. And it looked like, okay, this is definitely a new take on it. So I kind of like the fact that they looked at this and said, if we were going to design an electric car and we wanted it to be like, have that kind of energy enthusiasm, what would that look like? And I think the Mach-E just from, from that standpoint, it's just a nice looking car. Now I will say the one that I drove was white 
which I'm not a white car fan. I tend to like a little more color or whatever, but that's just what they had. And, you know, but that said, it was nice car. I really like the overall look of that. Super nice, super clean. The fit and finish, absolutely spectacular. I have one pet peeve about the outside, which is how do you get in the car? Like the way you open the doors was like, um, doors. So, but, but once you figure it out, you're good. But again, it's one of those, like, you have to know how to do it. It is not intuitive about how to get in that car. No. And and for people who don't know, it's as simple as a little push. There's no handles. It's just push. And that's how you get in the car. And I, I agree with that too. I was like, from a, from an emergency uh, perspective, like if somebody had, let's say they had a diabetic emergency and bystanders were trying to get this person out, you know, first of all, the doors might be locked and they might may not be able to get them out anyway. But if the doors aren't locked and they don't immediately know that you have to push this little button that doesn't look like anything except for maybe a sensor, I, I don't know how they would uh, uh, get them out to render. Like for us, we're just going to break the window if we can't get in. But for your average person, I don't I don't know how they would do that to, to give aid. And it doesn't have to be a diabetic emergency. It could be, you know, anything. And, and I think that was on all the doors. So it wasn't even like you could get mm-hmm. into some and not others. It's like all the doors, you needed a secret code. It's not a code, but you need to know the secret handshake to get into the car, which once you know it is no big deal. So as an owner, no big deal. But just imagine all of the handprints and fingerprints that the people who you take with you are going to cause to your car, which looks so beautiful. And then you're like, oh, wipe it down, wipe it down, wipe it down. So. Yes. I, I thought the, the exterior of the car was nice. It, it does have that standard EV SUV crossover look to it, but it also has some lines that reminded me of like the 1970s fastback a little bit towards, towards the back of the car. It's not, it's not overt. I don't think, but when I looked at it, I was trying to find like some sort of clues that would harken back. And maybe I was looking too hard to those classic 1960s and early 70s fastback, um, Mustangs, and I mean, you can't make the classic must the 1966 Mustang. You can't make that car an EV and make it efficient. It's just not the the body style isn't going to work. So it's just trying to find something in there that I could be like, this is that iconic Mustang. But it wasn't there. But that's okay because I didn't really care for the Mustang all that much anyway. <laughs> I was a more of a Mopar guy growing up. So um, I mean, if they if they made the Dodge Charger again and it looked like the Ford Mustang, I might have a problem with it. But for for me, I, I thought the car was pretty. It was also white and it had a lot of badging from the dealership on it. So it was kind of hard to get some of that because there was the badging on the car, which was Santan Ford. If anybody lives in Arizona and wants to go out and visit those guys, they were really nice about it. Yeah, I, I think that's almost there's almost like this optical illusion in the back where the car itself doesn't swoop down, but the way that there's like this change in color, it's almost like a darker color at the top. Mm-hmm. It kind of, it over, it, it overly suggests that, um, the, that particular model, that fastback edition. And so when you do look at it from afar, it does kind of like, it says, hi, I'm a Mustang and I know my history, but I'm new now. I'm an EV. So expect something brand new, but it's going to be fun get in like there's there's a little bit of that almost like an invitation to you're going to get something different than you expect but it's going to be fun because we know that we're a mustang yeah no i agree i agree 100 percent. what did you think of the interior the interior was the one of the parts that i i really liked it it was like i got in and i was like oh this car is comfortable like i literally got in and said i'm in a luxury car um and i i drew i test drove the base model so it didn't have all the fancy upgrades, but all the materials were really nice. Um, the center console screen that has the, the the one physical dial control, but the rest is touchscreen. I like the look of that. That worked pretty well, especially because every other control in the car was all physical controls. So there were lots of things that you could do just sort of like you sit down, you put your hands in places and you're like, oh, I get this. This feels normal to me as opposed to it being all touchscreen. Um, that's actually something I really like about my Kona is that I have a touchscreen. There's a lot of things you do with that, but you have physical controls to kind of do the stuff so you can focus on driving. Um I also, uh, my test in any car that I ever drive, I'm six feet tall. I'm not bizarrely tall, but I'm also not incredibly short. 
As a six foot tall person, I tend to get in the car, adjust the driver's seat so that it works for me, and then I get in behind me. As my test is, could I sit behind myself and what would that be like? The back seat of that car, there is so much room back there. Like as a passenger, that is a great car to sit in. I I found myself going, okay, there's a ton. The Kona, on the other hand, I can't sit behind me in the Kona. Now, I don't, and I generally, it's just me in that car, but the Maki is a car where I would be like, this is what I'm going to put my whole family in. I could have friends in the back and not feel like, like sad or apologetic when they got in. Really, really nice. Uh, materials felt good. Um, yeah, it was just very, very nice. Lots of room. Yeah, I had the same experience when, and I, we, um, the dealership I went to, they had the $60,000 version. So th- they had a little bit more bells and whistles, but it wasn't really what I was interested in, in general, just for the test drive. I mean, those things are nice. Um, but as a general rule, I want to know, is it comfortable to ride in for a long period of time? And the first thing I did, he, the salesman opened up the, the front door for me to get in and immediately I went to the back door, opened it up and sat in the back seat without adjusting any seats or anything like that. And when I looked at it, I was like, hmm, that's going to be uncomfortable because I'm also I'm 5'11". I'm not six feet, but I, you know, I'm a bigger guy. I sat down. I was like, this is comfortable. You know, my, I have room for my feet to, to move a little bit. Um, the seat in the, the front seat, the gentleman who was helping me, he was much taller than me. Like he was probably 6'3 or 6'4". He got into the passenger seat, didn't adjust it at all, and he looked fine in the passenger seat. Um, I was fine behind the passenger seat, which is where I was sitting. And it's like the seats are overbuilt and not in a bad way. It's like overbuilt for comfort and the driver's seat itself. I don't think I've ever sat in a driver's seat of a vehicle. The model Y probably comes the closest, but the, the driver's seat of the Maki Maki was so comfortable and like, it felt like it just kind of gave support in the, in the absolute right places, you know, like you didn't feel like you were going to fall out of the seat. The seat wasn't too soft, but it wasn't too hard. It was a very Goldilocks experience for me in this Maki. And I'm sure you can adjust all of this stuff because, you know, people with back issues and smaller people and things like that, they might have different, uh, different experience, but just in general, like I felt that the, the quality that they put into that vehicle was especially the interior and that experience of, am I going to get fatigued riding in this thing for a long time is very high. And that's, what's important. One of the most important things to me, the exterior, eh, I don't really care how it looks mostly, but the interior that makes, that makes a big difference. I think. I I agree. I, I think one other note about the back seat, and you mentioned it was when you, when you look at the car, you open the back door and you look at it and you're like, I'm not going to fit in there. Because the door kind of cuts down the same thing that gives you that fastback look on the exterior, that door does cut down. So I would imagine that if you're tall, you might look at that back seat and say, I'm going to bump my head. So just duck your head on the way in. And then when you get in, you're like, oh, this is big. So it's it does have that sort of presence where the back seat is a little bit further back in relation to the door than maybe sort of like some other cars where it's almost like a straight shot in where you can literally open the back door and you see the headrests. Right. You don't see the headrests in the Mach-E. Like they just, they're way far back past where you get in onto the seat. So watch your head getting in just as like note to future people driving it. That's a really good point. And the other thing that I'll mention is when I got in and I didn't notice this when I got in the driver's seat, but when I got in the passenger seat, I got in and I looked around and I looked up and there's that beautiful glass roof. And I was like, oh, this makes it feel so much more roomy back here than if it would just been a solid roof. Like it really did feel like it was it was like I I got transported through, you know, uh, the looking glass or is that Alice in Wonderland? Whatever Alice in Wonderland, whatever (laughs) Alice went through, that's what it felt like to me. I was like, there's no way I'm going to fit in that door. And then all of a sudden magic portion potion happens and boom. I was like, oh my gosh, this is really comfortable back here. There's so much room. You can look up, you can see the sky, but it's not so like it's nice and um, tented. So while you can still see the sky, um, it was kind of a hot day here in Phoenix. It was probably close to a hundred at 10 o'clock in the morning. It didn't, and the car wasn't on when I was back there. It didn't feel uncomfortably hot and been sitting in the sun all, all morning. So. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that the Mach-E is it acts more like a luxury car 
than something like a like the top line Kona, the Kona Ultimate, which is the one that I have. It's not a luxury car. It has some features that are luxury features. So, for example, it's got heated and cool. The Kona has heated and cooled seats. For the Mach E, if you want those features, you've got to option it up to get there. But the starting place of the of like getting in the car, the Mach E starts at. This is a very nice, wonderful car to get in. Where the Kona is like, this is a cheap car to get in that is really efficient, and you can option up and have some niceties to it. So, and that really makes that really makes a difference because like you might not care about heated or cooled seats, but you're still getting a really nice car to drive in to sit in. The Mach E is, is I think, is really really nice about that. I agree. So let's move on to driving. So what were your thoughts uh, on your test drive? You you guys had it for a few hours. So why don't you go over that real quick? Um, and then that way uh, we can just roll into the whole driving experience. Absolutely. So like from the, from the dealer, my sister and I get in the car. The very first thing that was sort of like a, I should know better because I drive an EV was the car was on. But because it was on so they could show me some of the basic controls, it wasn't on-on. And on-on meaning, like, the motor's running. So I'm sitting there going, none of the controls are working. None of the controls are working. Here's the screen. Here's the lights. Everything looks like it's on, except I hadn't pressed the actual start the motor with the foot on the gas button to make everything work. So I'm literally like, do I have to go back in the dealer and say, how do you how do you put this in drive here? Um, and then I was like, oh, that's right. Starter. Boom. And then everything was fine. So a little operator error there. And that's a very common thing. People new to EVs, they don't realize that like the way you turn it on is different because it feels like the car is on because it's so quiet. And literally the only practical audible difference between pushing that button and not was that it now like responded to controls to drive. So minor detail there. So I actually drove the car off to a neighborhood that I was very, very familiar with so that my sister could get her first experience driving. And like, I, I sort of said to her, I said, like, look, you got to be careful with this. Um, driving the Maki is your first EV experience. It's like giving an eight year old their first day in martial arts class, giving them a katana sword and saying, go for it. Um, because it is super duper responsive. Um, she adapted to it very, very quickly. She was like, oh, okay. And we did it in the whisper mode for her to start. And those driving modes are actually, I think, one of the things about the Maki that's just like super duper well done. That whisper mode, that is a luxury vehicle mode. It is soft. It is easy to work with. If you've never driven regenerative braking, it feels really good. Like you don't feel like craziness, like, oh God, what's happening? It's not the one pedal driving. Um, it's probably something that I would use um if I was on a super duper long trip that I was going to get tired for, I'd probably put it in that whisper mode to be like, Hey, I'm on long drives. It's all fine. Um, but it turns it into very much. That's, that's that luxury vehicle mode. My sister adapted very quickly. She drove it for about 20, 25 minutes and she was like, okay, I'm done. And then I was like, all right. And we switched. And the very first thing that I did after watching her drive it for a while and talking through the modes and switching some things on while we were driving, I was like, here we go. Stuck it in the unbridled mode, which is just like the most insane thing you could imagine. I looked over at my sister and I said, do you have to go to the bathroom? (laughs) And she said, no, I'm good. And I'm like, okay, hold on. And because I'm used to how an EV responds, it responded like I was expecting it to. It just took off. I mean, unbridled mode, it it was so much fun. It took off. She literally went um, whole, like, she cursed. She was like, oh, my God, are we, like, don't do this. And then I was like, oh, no, no. And I drove it around. We were in a park. I went to a parking lot at a high school that has a really long throw. So I was able to get it from zero to 60 in the parking lot. And I, I'm not a professional driver, and I think I did it in under four seconds and, you know, had plenty of room in that parking lot to slow down and do all the things I needed to do. Um, but it was insane, so much fun. I then dropped it back into the engage mode, which I think the engage mode is kind of like, that's what you should be driving in all the time. That's what makes that car sing without making you feel like a white knuckle experience for your passengers. Um, I also turned on the one pedal driving mode because I knew what that regenerative experience was going to be like. 
And I loved it. I loved every minute of driving that car. I was smiling ear to ear. I drove, we drove around for a good another hour and, um, you know, I took it places so I could take pictures of myself with it to send to my friends. Like, hey, look what I just got. Um, another friend of mine was thinking about maybe he wanted to get an EV, and he's a real big Ford guy for a long time. So I drove past his house, and I waved to him, and I'm like, hey, hope you enjoy Like, I, I did all the things that you could do to, like, make people jealous. I had so much fun in that car, and I literally, as I'm driving back into the dealer, I'm doing math in my head. Like, okay, so if I trade in my Kona... How much can I get? And then what can I use? And then is the car payment the same? And then I'll get the tax credit. Like I, I, I was doing all of the math that I could. And then rational Howard like sort of reminded me, it's like, hello, you don't need a new car today. So, but, um, oh my God, that car was so much fun. Yeah. I, I, my, this, the car salesman that I was with, he didn't have any experience with the EV. So I made the appointment online and they only have two salespeople that are I guess qual- not necessarily qualified, but are informed or educated on the EVs that are coming out for Ford. And because of that, they really couldn't, he really couldn't answer a lot of my questions. So we just kind of had that regular stock, whoever left it in the last position experience. And I'm pretty sure it was in whisper mode. We couldn't find the one foot driving. Uh, we couldn't find where to change to, you know, engage and, you know, uh, what was the, what was the other one? Uh, uh, unbridled unbridled yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so which is funny unbridled and mustang and horses but um points to ford for branding on that but uh so i will say even in like i loved the model y performance simply because of that instant torque but even with driving we drove uh, around the there's a big area with a lot of car lots. So there's little back roads. We drove along the back road and we drove on some main surface streets and then we got on the freeway and I don't really, I don't, didn't really feel the need to like be speeding in this vehicle, but it had even in, in the lowest setting or the most uh, eco-friendly setting, it had really nice pickup. It w- didn't throw you back. It was actually a nice, smooth, even acceleration, which is good because I, like if there was a model Y performance and my wife got on it and it threw her back, I don't think she would enjoy that experience as much as just this regular, like it's more peppy than an ice vehicle, but it not quite as much as what you could get in unbridled mode. And I think that would be for a lot of people that would actually be a positive and over a negative, but it was, I was very impressed with, uh, just driving at high speeds did not feel like we were going like 78, 75 at one point, And it didn't feel like we were going that fast. The car was very quiet on the inside, which was amazing. Um, and we're going to talk about interface here in a second, but the, the only, like the interface was not very, it wasn't super intuitive to me. Like I'm, I'm looking over and I was like, I don't feel comfortable looking for long periods of time at this screen to try and pack where things need to be. And I find Tesla's interface and I'm surprised. I'm honestly shocked to say this, but I found that a little bit easier to read and control while you're driving. But in general, like the actual driving experience was really good. This, no matter where I put the steering wheel and positioned it, and I found a place that I could position it and I could see the instrument cluster, but it was not comfortable to to drive. I could barely see it and it just wasn't comfortable for me to drive uh, with, the steer- with the steering wheel in that position. But other than that, man, the, I had, I had a similar thing. I was like, uh, on the way back to the dealership, I was like, do, I mean, if Ford comes out with a lightning prior to Tesla coming out with the Cybertruck, but really what keeps me hanging on is I want the full self-driving experience, even though it's not full self-driving, but I want that full self-driving experience uh, that Tesla offers and Ford at this time doesn't offer it. And when they do offer blue cruise, who knows what it's going to, what kind of experience that's going to be. But overall, like I was super impressed, like so impressed. I I have the thing I said to my sister was if they made this car if they didn't badge it as a Mustang and they did it as a Ford Escape SUV 
and they just said, look, we're going to make it sort of like a middle of the road car. It's going to have that the, effectively the equivalent of a whisper mode and this, that second mode that, uh, engage, what was, um, what do they call it? The engage mode. Like the engage mode in like a, just a basic sort of middle of the road SUV, they would sell so many of those cars. Like if that came in at like $35,000 for, you know, for the car, those things would fly like crazy. Um, I will say from an interface standpoint, I think where Tesla, having driven the Model 3, which again has a really, all it is is one screen. Like it's one screen and you do everything there. I think where Tesla has really excelled is that's their interface. Like they can't fall back and say some things are buttons and some things are interface. It's all there. So anything that they do is going to get these extra iterations and they're updating the software and they'll do refinements. I'm curious to see how Ford's interface looks in two years because of the number of people that will be buying this car as well as the the F-150 Lightning. Like that interface will get some good iterations that will be better. Um, so I'm really curious to see what Ford does with it. I think that's it is a place where Tesla is just winning that uh, that feature right now. Um, but uh, five years from now, it might not be that much different because it's still a screen. It's still software. And if they're capturing feedback and responding to feedback, they can do a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I have a little bit of a problem with Tesla with this too. It felt like the touch points on the interface were a little small. Like I played with a little bit when we weren't driving. I didn't touch it at all. When we were driving, I would, I would ask the guy to do it because I just didn't, I didn't want to get in an accident, but, um, he had to m- touch multiple times. So I don't know if it's because the touch points are small or because the, the touch screen itself isn't super responsive. Responsive. Um, it didn't seem like it was unresponsive when I was sitting. So I'm guessing it's because we were driving and you, know, you got your finger hovering and he's trying to hit those touch points. But it, it also felt, and it, you know, this is not fact. <laughs> just want to make sure this is how it felt to me. It felt like there was, um, menus nested in menus, nested in menus to try and get to where you wanted to go. And granted, this is somebody who has the gentleman and myself have no experience with this car at all. So that's, that's, uh, probably something that can be overcome easily. But in, in general, I was like, Oh, I thought I was going to like this a lot better, but actually I ended up liking Tesla's interface a lot better, but I agree with you. Like as Ford iterates, like this is their first go at it really. So as they iterate, it will get better. I think it's, it's fair to say, uh, my experience was similar. I did not try to mess with the controls while we were driving. When my sister was driving, I wasn't changing things. If she was in motion, I was like, okay, we stopped at a light. Let me try some things. The menus are definitely, there's some nested stuff in there. So like the one pedal driving, I knew to look for it because I was planning on testing it. So I had kind of like looked at it. And when we were sitting, I was like, where's the one pedal driving it? Is it a driving mode? Oh no, it's a separate option. And it's a separate option that's only available in, I think, the engage mode and the unbridled mode. It wasn't available in the whisper mode. Um, If it was, I didn't see it. So again, to your point, like, Maybe it was nested even further in the menus in each different mode. Um, and that's some, I, that's something that, you know, all the experiences I've had between um, me driving the Tesla or my friend who has a Model 3 that I go in his car all the time, um, they get the menus right. They know where to put the controls and how to make sure that those controls are responding and kind of almost predicting that this is what you need now. So we'll put this in a nice place for you. Uh, the Ford doesn't do that yet. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that's a deal breaker. It's is this is, I mean, I don't want to gush on this car too much, but it, this was easily one of the nicest drives I've ever had in a vehicle period. Like the Tesla drives really nice, but it feels a little sports car ish, which is not a bad thing. This feels more like that classic, you know, 1980s boat Cadillac kind of a ride. It didn't float like the Cadillacs used to float, but it just kind of had that, like, it felt like, you know, those Cadillacs had, they had, they had big motors and, you know, just kind of had that feeling like you were just kind of driving on a cloud. And I got a little bit of that with the Mustang. Again, it's not 
you know, it doesn't float like a Cadillac. Those float Cadillacs would float, but it was still a very comfortable drive. And I was, I was like, I could really, I could spend a lot of time in this car if I had to. And the interface, you know, I mean, it wasn't like what I wanted uh, or it wasn't what I thought it would be, I guess I should say. But that's such a small, everything else that this car has to offer, that is such a teeny tiny, that would not be a deal breaker for me. I think that's also something that like what I, what I noticed was switching modes totally changed how the car felt. And I think that's sort of an advantage that EVs are going to have because it literally adjusted the handling. It adjusted how much road feel that I had. Be, being able to make that adjustment, which is something my Kona doesn't do. My Kona basically says if you're in eco mode, it you know, it's just very like, I will try to get as much, I will hyper mile effectively on your behalf. If it's in sport mode, it ha- it's a little, it's got a little bit extra pickup. The difference in ride feel with the Kona is kind of like small, like there's little differences with the Mach-E going from the, the whisper mode to the unbridled mode. It was two different cars. Like if you, if you didn't tell me I was in the same car, I would think I was driving an entirely different car by switching modes. Um, that's a very cool thing that you can do. And I agree with you. It was literally one of the nicest cars I've ever just driven where I got out of it. And I was like, wow, that was great. And the model that I drove was cheaper than my Kona cost. And so that's when my head started going to that, like, okay, so what do I need to do? Cause this was really awesome. And, um, what do I do here? So, so your inter- your internal car salesman started kicking in and they're like, what, what, what do we need to do to get you into this car, Howard? What, what can we do? Yeah. That's, that's, that's always bad when your brain works against you and your financial, uh, being. Um, so having said that, what were your sister's thoughts on this vehicle overall? As an EV, she was like, okay, I definitely am getting an EV. So she literally had that moment of, I get it. Why? EV drivers will say, like, you should never buy an ICE vehicle again because it's just every point of it is better. She loved the fact that she wasn't feeling gear shifts. Like, even with some of the best automatic transmissions, you feel gear shifts, which means if you're driving 40 miles an hour and now you're like, oh, God, I need to, like, pass because of this vehicle that I'm stuck behind and that sort of hesitation in trying to get in the lane – she did a she did a pass and she was like oh my god that was easy and i said yeah and she's like that felt safer like she's kept saying to me she felt safer in a car that's a mustang because of the way that it was like very predictable you didn't like go okay car you can do this like it just zipped into the places that it needed to go she the way that it was doing like the lane guidance as one of the features that it that it does she was like that felt good that wasn't weird like it it just felt good So she just felt it was a better car in terms of the car for her. She was like, I don't know if I'd want to spend that much money on a car or like she was hoping for a more sort of budget friendly EV. And it's not that the the Mach-E isn't quote budget friendly between the federal incentive and what have you like the 42,000 base model after you get like if you, if you were buying it in New Jersey, 42 becomes well $7,500 for the federal credit and then another 5,000 because it's under that rain that threshold. Um, so you get another, I think the in that threshold, you get like $2,000 extra off. So now that car becomes like a $32,000 car or a 30, even a $35,000 car. That's like, okay, that's kind of square where she was looking at. I don't think she's going to get the Mach-E. I think she's going to wait to see what Toyota and Subaru do for next spring with what they're going to do. But she was like, that was really good. That was, that was a car that if I, if I was needing to buy a car today, she's like, I'd have a hard time not getting it. So uh, I think she liked it a lot. That's good. That's awesome. And would you choose to go from your Kona knowing what you know? Let's, let's just go back. Yeah. Let's pretend you don't have an EV. Would you go with your Kona based on your test drive or would you go with the Mach-E based on that test drive? And granted, I know your Kona test drive has been for however long you've owned your car, but correct. uh, Based on this, if you had to do it all over again, which one would you go with? I think my heart would win out over the subtle difference in math. 
And I think I would have gotten the Maki. And part of that reason, uh, the reason I bring up the math is when you're switching from an ICE vehicle to an EV, the math is great no matter how well you do it. But when you're going comparing one EV to another, you then get to some of those nuances, which is like, okay, what is the actual practical difference? I think for the overall cost of the car, the the Maki is a nicer car that you get, but you pay a little bit of a premium in terms of the uh, the, the efficiency of the car. So, like the Kona, I regularly see an efficiency that's above four miles per kilowatt, where the Maki is like two and a half. Now, that might not seem a lot, but it's kind of like the equivalent of getting 30 miles to the gallon versus 45 miles to the gallon or 50 miles to the gallon. So when you think about owning a car that gets 30 miles versus 45 miles, there is a long-term cost savings in there. Now, with the EV, you're paying like pennies as opposed to, you know, as instead of like 20 cents per mile, I pay under two cents per mile for the for the Kona. The, the Mach-E would be like three and a half to four cents per mile. So it's still way better, but not quite as good as the Kona from that standpoint. It'd be really hard to make the math perfect, but I think my emotion would say, but this is a better car. Like everything about the Mach-E is just better except for that one miles per kilowatt thing. So I, I, I would tend to uh, agree. Like if I was going to go, if I had the choice, and granted, I haven't driven all that many electric vehicles, but if I had the, the choice from what I did have, I w- it would be very hard for me. Like I do a t- podcast that's half of my show is dedicated to Tesla. Yeah. That's the only thing that would necessarily make me choose a Model Y in that category of vehicle over the Mach-E because like I'll have a couple of Mach-E stories a month. You know, I have between, you know, 10 or so Mach-E's or uh, Tesla stories in general in, in an episode. So it's like that, that's, that's very hard for me uh, personally. Plus I really want that full self-driving. So that leads me to my final question. Um, how, how valuable do you think blue cruise is going to be when it finally, when Ford finally releases it this fall, which is their version of autopilot for people who don't know. I don't think it's going to matter that much for the Fords because I don't think they've set their um, – I don't think they have the intention that is the long-term vision of what Tesla wants to do. I think what they're going for is we're going to give you features kind of like the most advanced cruise control, the most advanced lane guidance, some things that help you park. Like I think their intention is, yes, we can handle some of the heavy lifting, but like a really good adaptive cruise – does a great job in a practical day-to-day range. So like my Kona has a, the, the adaptive cruise control in the Kona is really, really good. I think that uh, what you're going to get in the Mach-E is going to have that um, better than it's got it now. I think some of the uh, parking assistance features will be like, oh, that's, that's really, really great. It's not that I'm not real big on the self-driving. It's that I think that the vision that Tesla has is a more long-term believable vision. And I don't think Ford feels like that's the thing that's going to sell their cars. I think what, I think what Ford believes is that it's going to be a car that's like you're like you recognize, or you feel like I'm used to cars. So this is just the next iteration of cars where I think Tesla wants to like really break new ground. So if you really are thinking, I want that long-term vision of self-driving cars, I still think the Teslas are going to be a better choice because I think that's what drives them as opposed to Ford, which is saying, well, we're going to, we want to sell a a million Mach-E's in two years and they know how to sell millions of cars. So it's a different, it's a different goal. That that's a very, that's very well said. And I don't have anything to add to that. And if I did, it would take away from it. So let's end it on that. Howard, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. You got it. Always a pleasure. Yeah, and, and we'll do an, another one of these uh, soon if, if you're up for it. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Howard. All right, folks, that is our show. I want to thank Howard for coming on and talking about the Ford Mach-E with me. 
I want to thank Allison again for having me on Chit Chat Across the Pond. If you want to know more about electric vehicle fires and, you know, Tesla's hitting parked fire trucks, go over there and, and have a listen. Like I said, I'll put the link in the show notes. If you want to email me, you can email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at 918digital. My DMs are open, so come on in and say hello. Thank you, everybody. Hope you have a great week.